You're listening to Real Presence Live on the Real Presence Radio Network. Join the conversation on our Facebook page or on Twitter. And be sure to like and follow us for more great Catholic content. Now, back to the show. Thanks for staying with us on Real Presence Live. This is Roxanne Solonen, your co-host, along with Teresa Curley. And we've had a really engaging morning. Uh, lots to discuss still on this last segment. We have a guest Leah Jacobson of the Guiding Star Project. Thank you for being with us today, Leah. Uh, I I think I met you. I don't know if you remember this, but uh, we were on the set of Unplanned quite a few years ago. And I think we were on a bus together. I can't remember where we were going that morning, but I I heard you kind of talking about Guiding Stars. So I'm excited now to hear a little bit more about it. So tell us first a little bit about you. Ah, well, first of all, thanks for reconnecting with me, Roxanne. This is really fun, actually. And it was, yes, it was on the set of Unplanned, I think, that we first met, which was really, really interesting how life, you know, brings you to those places. Um, I I would not have ever expected to find myself there or even doing the work that I am doing. I grew up on a small dairy farm in central Minnesota. So I'm a farm girl at heart. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think growing up in the the home that I, I had, my parents just instilled a strong sense of, you know, natural law and order and consequences and the reality of biology and my deep faith life, it all kind of culminated and led me um, when I was in college then, University of Minnesota Duluth, to see the world, I think, a little differently than most of my peers, than most of the women that were around me. Um, I began to realize that most women didn't know anything about their, you know, their fertility, the gift of their fertility, their natural bodies. And it was a really startling kind of um, realization for me that, you know, the women's movement and the feminist movement, that it actually didn't really do a lot (laughs) for helping women understand and embrace and love their female bodies. And it kind of raised up an activist in me, you know, uh, unexpectedly. Um, As a campus minister, I I began to work for the Diocese of Duluth, running the Newman House at UMD. Mm. And my husband Josh and I lived there for the first three years of our marriage, and we welcomed our first baby there. And, you know, as I was becoming a young mother, um, breastfeeding my baby on campus, being around students, you know, talking about natural family planning, it just became clear that this, you know, so-called culture of death, you know, that John Paul II talked about, that it began much earlier than I think I previously had understood. I always thought it was kind of a you know, a crisis pregnancy situation or a euthanasia or a end of life, you know, like these really capital punishment, these really dramatic situations were culture of death. And I began to realize that really it was a culture of death is really when we don't, when we reject the gift of the body God gave us, when we begin to separate ourselves from the Creator and see Him and question Him and see Him as not benevolent, not benevolent, not, not all-knowing. So that's really what kind of got me started in this work, I guess. So that's, mm. that's my background. <laughs> I, I do have a question. Did you ever in college, because that was a time of challenge for me, for sure, with my faith. Were, were, was there ever a time that you were kind of like peeking down at the road of the culture? Or or did you just stay on that track of being a, a faithful Catholic the whole time? Or what was your journey there? Yeah, you know, I... <laughs> I guess it was kind of a duplicity a little bit. Like, I stayed faithful to the Church's teachings. You know, I, I never missed Mass. But chances were pretty good that I was out partying late, you know, Saturday night. <laughs> um, but I, I held I held to my faith all the way through, and so I had certain boundaries and certain lines, you know, things I wouldn't do because of my faith. 
Um, and I'm really grateful that I had. It was a legalistic understanding of, of the faith in many ways. It was just kind of the rules, and I followed the rules. And I'm grateful because when we got married and we began to practice natural family planning, I, I was doing it more so from the family planning, like, you know, I want to have control over this thing. But I realized very quickly that it's an act of surrender, you know, that yeah. after the first few babies, like, my whole world, you shifted. And, and had I not had that sort of legalistic clinging to my faith of, you know, no birth control, um, I don't think I would have ever learned that. Like, my physical body, my physical motherhood, like, finally connected the dots on these teachings, these rules, all of a sudden made sense. It's kind of a mind-blowing discovery, because I went through something similar, and my husband was a convert, so we were a little bit slower to, uh, we did contracept a couple of years, because I just was scared that he wouldn't, I was scared of pushing him away, which, sure. you know, but ultimately, that was kind of the beginning of, I mean, he, he had came into the church, and little by little, step by step, but wow, like when you start embracing that and seeing all that and really studying what the church says, it's it's kind of overwhelming and makes you feel kind of a little bit upset that you weren't told that before that you were kind of lied to, right? We I mean we all kind of yeah. were along along going along the path and thinking that this is this certain vision of, of what life is is what it is and 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 it's just like so then you kind of have to make up for lost time. So so uh, at what point I do I think I was going to say that I mm-hmm. think like my upbringing, and I mentioned that I lived on a farm and I grew up kind of surrounded by nature because I think that was the unique advantage I had over my friends that, you know, I grew up going to church with and going to Catholic school with. And many of them, you know, became very worldly and very secular very quickly. But it was something about having this closeness to nature and just biology and seeing the reality of life and death and fertility. And um, I think that's what really grounded me. Um, and so I can't, I'm like one of the biggest, maybe, hippies <laughs> in the sense of like, get your kids onto a farm, get them into the dirt, plant a garden, like help them to understand that there is reason and logic and order to the way that God creates things. Very cool. So what is the Guiding Star Project then? Tell us about that and what, what does it offer women? Yeah, the Guiding Star Project um, is two, it has a twofold mission. And so the first part of the mission is that we actually open up women's centers around the country, and they're focused on fertility, childbirth, breastfeeding, and family life. Those are the four core services of every Guiding Star Center. Um, But the second part of the the National Guiding Star Project mission is that we promote a worldview about what women's health care should be. And so we publish, we speak, we write, we put out materials, really helping women to question you know, what am I receiving from the healthcare industry right now? That's, is it actually healthy? Is it actually good for me? Is it actually making me happy and whole? And so we promote, we call our worldview holistic feminism. It's, a, it's an approach to the women's movement. It's a proposition of, you know, if feminism really were to look at women's needs, if the women's movement were to really care about women's bodies, it would automatically protect our fertility, our childbearing rights, and our breastfeeding rights because those are the three unique things that a woman's body does that a man's body does not. That's truly the differentiator between women and men. So, Leah, why do you feel the right to bodily autonomy is so important to the feminist movement in terms of truly understanding and advancing women's rights? 
Oh, bodily autonomy, yeah, how it's used right now is just so incorrect because bodily autonomy is really the ability to know one's own body. It's to know, to be in it, to be free to live within your body without altering, suppressing, or changing it or destroying it. Um, and currently the women's movement has 100% embraced that our bodies are completely dispensable, that we don't need different laws and policies to protect women. We just need to change women's bodies, and that's unfair. Mm. And it's unrealistic. Mm. I'm sure you've um, had some. I'm sure you celebrated on Friday with with the rest of us. How how are you as as the founder of Guiding Star Project uh, and kind of looking at Roe v. Wade and the possibilities now that are opening up because of that decision, the, the overturning. I mean, I feel like incredible optimism. I feel hopeful optimism. Um, I, because in some states now where abortion is no longer just an easy solution to, you know, employers that don't want to actually get maternal health benefits in place, you know, Roe v. Wade and abortion on demand has been um, a scapegoat, really. I mean, it's just been this easy out for uh, instead of actually fixing root problems, you know, instead of actually looking at the, the child care crisis, the, the shortage of, of good, safe spaces, you know, that we don't have lactation protection, that, you know, women are dying and having terrible maternal outcomes, that we we have so many problems that actually affect women's wellness. Um, abortion has just been an easy sort of, like, let's ignore the problem. Um, and so I'm hopeful that we're actually going to go back and start fixing these root issues that really do drive women to abortion. But it means getting uncomfortable. It means talking about things that we haven't talked about ever before. I mean, it means having things like menstrual leave policies on the table. <laughs> that shouldn't be an awkward conversation, but it is because we have so much shame and stigma attached to women's natural bodies. We don't talk about it, and we need to. We need to start talking about it. Tell us about some of the conversations that you've had where you've broken through. I, don't, I know it's hard to like recall certain conversations, but maybe in a more general way, like at moments where, where you've realized we, we're making a difference. And, and we're changing well, I, the conversation. Uh, yeah. mm-hmm. I mean, I think 10, 15 years ago when we first started talking about um, this new feminism, you know, to, to borrow from John Paul II and Evangelium Vitae when he calls the women of the church to embrace and raise up a new feminism, when we were talking about it 10, 15 years ago and how it translates into health care, there were just a lot of kind of blank stares, like, no, we don't need that. Women don't need that. They're not interested in that. And now I'm seeing things like, you know, the business of birth control, and documentaries coming out from the other side where they're saying, wait a second, is this actually a woman's right or is this a woman's, you know, an abuse of women's bodies? Um, mm. I, I think that the, culturally we're, we're making tremendous progress. The questions are finally being allowed to be asked, which, you know, 15 years ago they weren't even being asked. You know, I've had a lot of personal conversations with women one-on-one where um, we're finding common ground, you know, as a lactation consultant. I sit with a lot of really diverse women, politically, religiously, sure. very different from me. And we find a lot of common ground. And just being mothers, right? I mean, right there, that that's a common ground, too. Um, Absolutely. You know, when you can smile at a woman on the playground across the way, breastfeeding her baby on the bench, and you realize she's sitting with her lesbian partner, but yet you can just smile at one another and still have that moment of connectivity of, this is a good moment, you know, mm-hmm. me loving my baby this is a good moment. We understand one another. And finding that our female bodies, there is an innate sisterhood 
if we allow them to be as they were naturally created. There's an understanding that transcends languages, it transcends political parties, religions. We understand one another at a very ground-based level of being biologically female. Hmm. That is that is beautiful. I'm imagining Mary is at the helm of your organization, but uh, well, we will ask you about that on the other side of the break, as well as another subject that's come up recently about the mass formula shortage and how you're dealing with that with your Guiding Star project. We'll be back with Leah Jacobson after this break, so stay tuned to Real Presence Live. Stay with us. There's more Real Presence Live to come on the Real Presence Radio Network. Do you know a priest who has made a difference in your life or at your parish? One who has helped you through a loss, discern an important decision, or celebrated the sacraments with you and your family? Real Presence Radio would like to know about these amazing priests. Visit our website at realpresenceradio.com slash contact to nominate your priest. And each week on Real Presence Live, we will recognize one of our priests with a dozen donuts generously donated by a local business. Help us honor our fathers by nominating your priest today. Hello, this is Mike Kidrowski, Director of Advancement for Real Presence Radio with a creative gift planning tip. Have interruptions impacted your charitable giving? If you feel like you have less to give this year or are waiting until you get through these recent challenges, we want to let you know about some creative gift options that won't cost you a dime this year. For example, you could designate Real Presence Radio as the beneficiary of all or percentage of your IRA or make RPR beneficiary of a percentage of your estate or specific asset. Make a bequest commitment gift this year without impacting your savings or investments. To learn more about the benefits of making a charitable bequest, please visit our plan giving website at rprlegacy.org or call me at 701-290-4503. Let's get started. I'm Carrie Dew, Executive Director of Riverview Place. I've worked my entire career in healthcare as a social worker in the hospital, skilled nursing, and hospice settings. I love my job. Not only do I get to work with a caring, dedicated team that displays human kindness to every resident, it's a privilege to offer seniors a lifestyle that reminds me of what it felt like to grow up in the small rural town of Buffalo, North Dakota. To join our faith-based community, call us today for a tour at 701-412-1952. You're listening to Real Presence Live. Now, back to more inspirational and uplifting stories and a look at the extraordinary things happening in our local area. Heard right here on the RPR Network. And welcome back to the final segment of today's Real Presence Live. I'm Teresa Curley, and I'm here in the Fargo studio with Roxanne Solonen. And we've been chatting with Leah Jacobson, who's with the Guiding Star Project, and just been chatting about her work and what they're doing to support women. Um, so, Leah, right now it's like all over the media, the mass formula shortage in the U.S., um, yes. which is affecting yeah. so many people in kind of an unexpected way, really. Um, so yeah. could you talk about the natural solutions Guiding Star has developed to address this? Well, yeah, first of all, so I'm a board-certified lactation consultant, and so this is directly like in my line of work, you know, helping women to breastfeed and um 
first of all, our centers, you know, are proactively responding. We do have uh, one of our centers actually has a milk share program at um, Siouxland and Guiding Source Siouxland in Orange City, Iowa, which I love. And, uh, you know, we basically have been able to facilitate milk sharing um, amongst women with thousands and thousands of ounces of donated breast milk, which has really eased the situation for women in that community. But um, that's, you know, only one center in one place. And there's thousands of women right now that are struggling at this moment. And I can't help but look at, you know, especially the rates in the South of the United States, you know, our breastfeeding initiation rates and success rates in the Southern states in particular are abysmally low. You know, not nearly the number of women that should be or even attempting breastfeeding. And I think a lot of that is that women have been, you know, subconsciously convinced that their bodies do not work, that there's something wrong with them, that it's not even worth trying to breastfeed. I don't want to invest my time into it. Or even worse, you know, there's societal and cultural pressure that it's somehow gross or unnatural. And you see highlighted at this moment when there's no formula available how risky those sort of opinions are because it's baby's lives, it's baby's health that is at risk when we have these opinions um, about something that's natural and beautiful. Yeah, I grew up on a a reservation, a Lakota reservation, where my parents taught, and I never saw people breastfeeding. Mm. The the government was pushing formula, and that is all I saw. And um, so it was a really strange concept to me when I was at that point of deciding what I was going to do, and I absolutely fell in love with it, and I I went deep with it, and I had to break through all sorts of barriers and misconceptions all around me, and it, it just changed my life. It literally and my whole life went in another direction. So I'm a huge proponent as well. And uh, just, but I, but I remember going back later, it may be about five years ago or something like that. And, and I saw that there, there was, uh, there was some, I was like in a healthcare center or something like that. Or, uh, and there was some pictures of native women breastfeeding. And I thought, wow, I, you know, I, I was grateful for that change, but um, yeah, it's, well, it's, it's all connected. And, and this is the part that I, I hope that people, you know, that hold, pro-life positions and stuff understand because oftentimes they won't understand when we're talking about breastfeeding and why we're putting so much work in our centers. We have lactation consultants and we do breastfeeding classes and we have all sorts of programs in place to support breastfeeding and pro-life people are like, why? Like that doesn't, that, that doesn't matter. And it absolutely matters mm-hmm. because breastfeeding rates is an indication of how women feel about their natural bodies and what their bodies create and whether or not it's good. Um, and as a lactation consultant, I can tell you that there are, are numbers of times where I have worked with a woman, you know, who is three days postpartum and she's struggling to figure out breastfeeding. It's her first baby. And she's saying things like, I'm just a bad mom. Like, I can't do this. I'm a terrible mom. Um, if I ever get pregnant again, I'm going to have an abortion. I'm getting a hysterectomy. Like, this is so hard. This mm. is so horrible. It is absolutely all connected how we feel about our bodies, the traumas. Um, it's very traumatic for women when breastfeeding doesn't go well. And it absolutely feeds into and leads to women choosing to, um, you know, destroy or or not not welcome motherhood. Yeah, you really see the separation of the body from the person and from the soul. And you know, another issue. I know this is a whole different direction, but the trans situation. I remember like a couple of years ago when I saw someone who was identifying as a woman, but I thought 
they're not having they're not menstruating so i'm sorry i'm not gonna they, no they do not know what we go through you know what i mean like it's hard a yeah. woman's body is a hard thing <laughs> it's very complex but very beautiful yeah. it is life-giving yeah. you know and to it separate is. ourselves from that is a travesty I, I i don't you're really bringing some insight to me this morning well, on how these all all that all these things are connected they're absolutely connected. And, and, you know, from the church's perspective, the church has long said that there is a maternal obligation to breastfeed, and people get upset about that, and they're saying it's patriarchy. But what it is, it's that, it's that how the woman is built to be for the other. You know, our bodies mm. don't make sense on, on their own. Our body is meant to be in relationship, and that as a woman, um, you know, your breasts, they don't make sense without a baby. <laughs> There's no point to them otherwise. Um, But we look at, you know, when breastfeeding rates in our country hit an all-time low, 1972, was that 24% of women even attempted to breastfeed. What else happened in 1972 to 73? Mm -hmm. The legalization of abortion. Mm -hmm. It was this moment in time where women just said, you know, what my body does isn't important. It's of no value. It doesn't matter if I breastfeed or not. It doesn't matter if I carry this pregnancy to term or not. My fertility is not special. My lactating is not special. And that is just a complete departure from everything the church has ever taught, but yet the church hasn't spoken up as clearly on issues such as breastfeeding and how it can help us to fully understand our identities as women. Yeah, so when I was going through that, it was just like this confusing maze of what is, what's happening right now? <laughs> I know I want to do this with my child. Like, I feel so cool. I had to leave my job. It, it just wasn't working. My baby would not take a bottle or anything. And so it, it had to change. I was forced into that. And it was such a journey I went on. And, I, and, and it, yeah, it would have been nice. I did not know that the church, like, was behind breastfeeding. Had I known that, that might have been a little bit easier, <laughs> you know? I mean, the church, the church has had an understanding. The Catholic Mothers Nursing League has been a really fabulous organization for many years. And, and it has an understanding that in terms of the gravity, in terms of, you know, it's not as grave as it is to have an abortion. You know, the, the weight... Um, of, you know, breastfeeding is not, it's not the same issue, like abortion and breastfeeding. However, when it comes to your identity and your acceptance of your God-given body, that's where it comes into play. Um, and to your point that you had to leave work because breastfeeding wasn't working, like, let's talk about that as the problem right now. Like, why is the employer not providing, you know, spaces? Why are there not flexible options where the baby can come to work for a period of time? Like, why is there no on-site child watch where you can just walk down the hallway and nurse your baby and go back to your cubicle? Like, these are the things that women actually need. That's what feminism needs to be pushing for. Yeah. Ultimately, I was very happy to, to, to go home, even though it was a stretch financially, and, you know, um, and find other ways of working. You know, but I think that's women in general. We have to comp- always be, like, reassessing, discerning our, our roles in the world based on our motherhood and and we're all mothers so no one really escapes this <laughs> and in some level we're either mothers ourselves or we're supporting other mothers that's what we're called to Amen. do it's yeah. the essential contribution that the world and the church needs from women is to embrace our motherhood to see the other to give the dignity to the other by our loving gaze and our acceptance that's mm. the feminine genius yeah Real quick before we have to leave, um, what what are you able to do as far as supporting and serving women, especially if they don't live near an affiliate location? We just have a, a few seconds left to explain it. But. Yeah, sure. They can go to lumenpress.org. We've got two books there, Holistic Feminism is my book, and then The Happy Girl's Guide to Being Whole. Purchase our book, share the stuff. You can get support through um, our Pro portal to learn fertility awareness. Um, we do have virtual classes and such available from all of our centers that people can get signed up for. And, and where is that again? Where can people go to? 
So the books are at lumenpress.org and the website for Guiding Star is guidingstarproject.com. Wonderful. Thank you, Leah. It was so nice to hear from you and about the guidance, Guiding Star Project. And now Thank we're you. Have a blessed day. We're going to hear now from our technical director who's going to preview the next show. Join us for the best of Real Presence Live Monday, 9 to 11 a.m. Central. Stella, Stella Jeffrey talks about Saul to St. Paul and the importance of conversion. And Bishop, Bishop John Foldo from the Diocese of Fargo talks about life in the Eucharist. Also, Nathan Sather talks about him living out his Catholic faith in the military. All that and much more on the best of Real Presence Live Monday, 9 to 11 a.m. Central. Thanks, Brooklyn. No problem. Thank you. Monday's the 4th of July, coming up quickly. Oh, that's right. Are, are you hosting on Monday? <laughs> <laughs> no, no. So we'll be uh, airing some of the best of, so the previous shows. That's so. right, right. Yeah. Yep. I'm dog sitting. <laughs> so. good, good. Yep. All right. What else are you planning on the 4th? Do you have anything exciting? Is there, are there, uh, that, that's pretty much it. I'm watching a dog who's terrified of fireworks. So I'll, I'll be babysitting and taking a day of prayer. So it'll be good. <laughs> we have a friend who is moving to West Africa, um, through the, through the military, he's been uh, going to be going there. And so he usually has a Labor Day little event with a beanbag toss and just party with friends and stuff like that. Just kind of a fun family day. Super fun. But, but since he's leaving and going to be moving soon to West Africa, he's going to have it on the 4th or the 3rd, I guess. So we'll be uh, tossing beanbags and oh, <laughs> hopefully watching some fireworks So fun. somewhere. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, I feel like this 4th of July is going to be extra special for so many people just because... Now there's something like another thing to be proud of in the U.S. with the overturning of Roe v. Wade. Like we're as a culture, we're coming together and starting to see like, oh, we need a culture of life. We need to build that up. And so like what a cool day to celebrate that. Yeah. And another really cool thing about that, I was talking to some of my pro-life friends yesterday at our abortion facility here. Um, It's not just America, but it's the whole world kind of watches us and what Mm. we do. And so. This is going to have worldwide implications, I think, of this decision. So, absolutely, it was a joy to be with you today, Teresa. So uh, fun! It's so fun. I, I love meeting the meeting the face to the voice, <laughs> seeing the faces. Yes, yeah. and thank you so much for joining us on Real Presence Radio Live. We will be back again with more programming tomorrow. So don't go away. We'll have some repeat uh, episodes, and we will be back on Tuesday with live programming. God bless you. Enjoy your weekend. This has been Real Presence Live on the Real Presence Radio Network. Real Presence Live brings you inspirational stories of faith and a look at the good and holy things happening in our local area. Weekday mornings from 9 to 11 Central. Tune in for an encore of each show beginning Saturday morning at 6. Get the podcast any time of day or night at yourcatholicradiostation.com or on the Real Presence Radio app. And remember, you can be a part of the conversation through Facebook and Twitter. Real Presence Live, local, engaging, and live on the Real Presence Radio Network.